Sid, it, it's happening again. Wise man say, forgiveness is divine, but never pay full price for late pizza. What kind of beer do you like? Heineken. Heineken? Fuck that shit! Pabst Blue Ribbon! What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Horror Flicks and Guitar Picks podcast. I'm your host, Tim Trashmouth Mills, and this week, my guest is the one and only makeup effects artist Jeff Goodwin from the Bearded Skull Effects team, and you might know his work from movies like Blue Velvet, Manhunter, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 1990, and the latest Scream that just dropped back in January of 2022, which we dive into all those and a bunch more in this week's interview. Now, before we get into that, I just want to say that this upcoming weekend, I'll be out at Mad Monster Con in Concord, North Carolina. So if you're out there walking around, make sure you keep an eye out and say what's up. And don't forget to go follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for all updates on the podcast and upcoming interviews. Thanks again for listening, and here's this week's interview. Yes, sir. How you doing? Good. How about you? Good. Hell yeah. Which, Where are you um, located? North Carolina. So. Ah, okay. We're all in North Carolina. I, uh, so I'm in Wilmington. Oh, okay, awesome. Hell yeah. Yeah. Now, I was super stoked to find out that, uh, you know, a bunch of the, you know, recent stuff has been shooting in Wilmington, you know, as far as horror goes, you know, like Halloween shot there, you know, of course, y'all shot Scream there and stuff like that. So Actually, we got a really good one coming out uh, in June, which I think is going to be the best one, which is the Black Phone. Fuck yes. No, I'm actually super excited for that. I have, uh, I actually have a, a movie yeah, poster. I snagged yeah. one of the, the movie posters for it because when they changed the date, the posters became no longer good. So Exactly. Yeah. That one's going to be a really good film, I think. No, I'm super excited. I'm um, I'm an assistant manager of a movie theater, so I get yeah. to put, put like uh, trailers and stuff in front of movies. And then as soon as the Black Phone trailer came out, I was slapping that shit in front of everything that was horror like related. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's it's a it's it's one of those rare ones. It's 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 rare when you're shooting a film and you know it's good. That was one of them. Hell yeah! No, and I was excited about it. You know, Scott Derrickson being attached, and he did so good with Sinister and Doctor Strange and all that. So, and then Ethan Hawke is just fucking amazing. So enjoyed working with scott derrickson very very much yes hell yeah and then of course isn't it based off a book by joe hill if i'm not mistaken yep sure is oh yeah no, that's uh i'm definitely looking forward to that one which i was gonna ask you a little bit about that at the end but uh we could just leave that in right there that works i figure you can't <laughs> talk too much about it considering it's like you know not even out yet and stuff but i just wanted to ask you know how it was well, working I mean, on it and stuff yeah i mean we can't talk too much about it but I mean, heck, fangoria which just came out it's got a story on it and i think pictures and everything already Oh, it's yeah. kind of crazy, but yeah, it's uh, it's gonna be a good one. Yeah, which I'm sure they were probably prepped for the February release, and then with the pushback, they were just like, "Oh, do what you can do." But yeah, but I think I think the push is actually better for the film, to be honest. Hell yeah! And the mask, if I'm not mistaken, that was uh, Tom Savini, wasn't it? Uh, well, I think somebody from his company, his school. Yeah. yeah. Hell yeah. yeah. We can uh, dive back to, you know, some of your work and, you know, start at the beginning. But uh, real quick, I do want to say, you know, since this is a horror podcast, we'll just be talking about your horror films. But I want to say a huge congrats on 20 years of uh, Walk to Remember. I know, you know, a lot of horror fans aren't, you know, really into that. But I love that movie. I I was a huge fan growing up, especially uh, Shane West, I think his name is and stuff like that. That was uh, that film, whatever it takes. You know, I was a huge fan of his uh, Get Over It, the, uh, you know, Midsummer Night's Dream type movie he did and stuff. So. Well, Shane's a good guy. That whole cast was great. It was actually a fun movie to do and turned out nice. Like you said, it's not a horror film, but it yeah. turned out nice. 
that's my main thing usually is I'm looking to do, you know, good movies, no matter what the genre, try to yeah. do something. Good. Yep. No, definitely. And that's uh, one thing that was uh, I noticed is you got, you know, such a long catalog and it's got so many great films from, you know, different genres and stuff like that. Like I said, I'll probably be bringing up a few that are not horror, but just because, you know, they're favorites and stuff like that. But, uh, but cool. we can start, start at the beginning and, uh, and of course, I'll probably skip a few that are horror just because you've done so many, you know, it'd be hard to like hit on everything. So and some of them aren't so good either, man. <laughs> <laughs> which, uh, I mean, which I'm a kind of I'm a kind of fan that uh, like, I don't know if you see this, but I got uh, fall break uh, mutilator record right there. So I'm a fan uh, of the not so good horror as well. <laughs> you know? I've done I've done many of those, man, <laughs> oh, yeah. which uh, you know, that was a that's a North Carolina production as well. Uh, mutilator from Ocean's. Not Ocean's that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hell yeah. So, uh, you know, I always like to start with, uh, you know, the horror, uh, my horror guests and stuff, you know, like was pretty much the most basic uh, question any interviewer can come up with. And, uh, you know, that is how did you get your start in makeup and stuff like that? And, you know, what exactly inspired you to, you know, go that path anyways, you know, from the start? Uh, I mean, I was always a weird kid and always loved movies since I can. Some of my first memories actually was yeah. loving going to the theater and seeing movies when I was a kid. And the first film that did it for me as far as seeing that in the theater when it first came out was in 1968. Uh, I went and saw planet of the apes with my father when it was first released. Yeah. And when those, when those gorillas ride by on horseback the first time in that shot, that yeah. was it for me. That was like, that's, that's what I want to do. Um, yeah. That was it. Yep. Now, that's a perfect uh, movie for, you know, that kind of stuff like that, you know, like early on, like makeup and stuff that just really stuck out for sure. I think one of my favorites from the earlier time and stuff is uh, I love the Gilman suit from, you know, uh, Creature of the Black Lagoon and stuff like that. But Creature, Creature from Black Lagoon is still one of my favorite creatures. Uh, and it was a beautiful suit way ahead of its time, actually. Yeah, yeah. that was a great job. Now, and then uh, to bring it back to Planet of the Apes, that one is one that, uh, you know, it just that right there shows practical effects over, you know, CGI because that film alone looks better than the remake that came out probably 50 years later or whatever you say, but. Boy, I agree with you there. Yeah. <laughs> Which, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that the, the remake looked bad, but you know, that movie being so old to look that good, you know, especially in comparison, it's just crazy, you know, but. Yeah. I did not, I have to say, I did not being such a fan of the original films and really what, you know, got me into this. I, I, I nothing against his makeups, but I did not like the, Tim Burton yeah. version of Planet of the Apes at all. The later CG versions, yeah, um, I actually enjoyed. Um, I think they kind of got back into really you know better storytelling, and I kind of dug those films, even though I'm not a huge CG fan. Yeah, but, uh, I think they were better films though. Yeah, now I get you mean. Uh, I always forget that Tim Burton's was makeup, but yeah, it was like a wonky makeup. It was more like, uh, yeah, I don't want to diss anybody, but I'm with you because I'm a huge Tim Burton fan. That just was probably the, that's probably one of my least favorites of his movies for sure. But I, I agree. And I mean, Rick Baker did the makeups, and the makeups were beautiful as far as you know. He's he's the gorilla guy. Yeah, but I did not care for the movie. To me, it just didn't work. Yeah. So, uh, in your first film, if I'm not mistaken, was uh, Dogs of Hell, uh, which is you know a horror movie. How was it jumping into you know straight into horror and like were you a fan of the genre before you uh, you know started doing makeup and stuff like that? Well, actually, the, the very first film was a horror film, but it wasn't it wasn't that one. That that came a couple of years later. The very first film I ever did was in 1980, a horror film called The Membrane, which oh, yeah. I did Membrane Creature and did all the effects for which is a very obscure film, which I'm still trying to track down a copy. I don't have a copy of it. Yeah. Uh, can't find that one anywhere. Um, but that was the first one, 1980. Um, the Membrane Creature got a second wind, so to speak, 
and he actually lives in the Cape Fear Museum now uh, here in London because the membrane creature for that that first little creature I made for that film in 1980 got another go round because he actually sat on Dawson Leary's television set and was actually in the very first shot of Dawson's Creek. And Joey were watching E.T. on TV and the membrane sitting right on top of the TV. So, mm. Yeah, he, he got a second career in Dawson's Creek. Membrane did. <laughs> that's uh, IMDb letting me down. I looked at the wrong thing. That's why I didn't know. <laughs> my bad. But that's awesome. No, I, IMDb, that's, I think that's the way they've got it listed. They yeah. don't have they don't have everything correct. Yeah, that was like earlier. Uh, I was looking for a release date of a movie and they said a movie was out that was clearly not out. And I was like, damn it, they let me down again. <laughs> but uh no, that's uh, yeah. that's awesome. So then, of course, you went on, you know, to do, you know, you did Dogs of Hell. That it was originally called Rottweiler when we shot it. That was for EO, Earl Onsby. Um, I think we shot that one in '82. I think '80. Mm. I think I think we shot it in '82. And actually, when we shot it, it was 3D. Oh, yeah. It was released in 3D when it came out, and it's a terrible movie. But <laughs> the 3D process was actually fascinating to watch, and when it's projected properly back in the day, like that. Uh, the 3D watching the dailies was just beautiful because it was like when it's shot and projected right, which it hardly ever is when it's going out to the theater. Then mm. um, it made a big difference. It looked beautiful when you see it projected yeah. right. Oh yeah, now I bet that was awesome. Like uh, you said, like the dogs and stuff like that, and all the you know <laughs> the uh, that's one thing I liked about the 3D back then. You know, is they made it to pop out at you. Like now they make 3D movies, and it's like just to, for the look of you know like make something a little crisper or like this just a little more depth and it's like i missed the 3d movies where it was like everything was like pointing you in the eye and stuff like this yeah, yeah. Um, i mean that was the thing though it became a, a kind of a fad for a while there if you remember mm. where i mean they weren't even making the films to be 3d they were converting them after the fact yeah so it really it you know yeah it was just a, i think a way of trying to get butts and seats yeah, no, it's uh, one of those things that every time we get a movie, like we still have a 3D theater and every time we get a movie in 3D, I'm like surprised if it does well, because it's like I always think I'm like, like, who cares to see like the new James Bond? I'm like, why see that in 3D? Like, I love James yeah. Bond, but like no reason. Yeah, to see 3D. but some of them just doesn't make any difference. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But then, uh, you know, your next few films, uh, I think, if I'm not mistaken, were both Stephen King adaptations, you know, with uh, Cat's Eye and then uh, Silver Bullet, which Silver Bullet's in my top three, you know, werewolf films of all time. Uh, what's some <laughs> of... Uh, yeah, I love that film so much. It's up there for me. It's uh, that one, Late Phases, and uh, American Werewolf in London are my top three. But and then, of course, the Howling's uh, close fourth. But um, I say how, Howling's up there for me. How I, I prefer the Howling even over American Werewolf as far as movie and as far as the effects. Yeah, uh, I think I think Rob Bottin's uh, transformation and, and uh, effects were in my uh, I like better than American Werewolf. No, I can agree with that. I actually watched The Howling this morning because, uh, like I said, I work at a theater, so I had some time in between. And The Howling is actually what I chose to go up and uh, watch at the theater for a little bit just because I had time to kill. But And it was uh, like, I actually have to agree because uh, I didn't grow up on that movie so much. That's probably why it's not like as far up for me because that's one I didn't see until later in life. But um, yeah. I do really, I think I do enjoy that one more. Like the way the, like, the face is like, especially the first one where the face is like bubbling and stuff like that. Yeah. It's just, yeah, yeah. I just want to give you my mind yeah that's i love it that's uh, great yeah, yeah. Uh, i mean cat's eye was a lot of fun uh and i thought a fun i, I love anthology uh, anthology movies anyway so that was that was a fun one mm. uh so bullet it's it that one makes me laugh because yes it, it has grown on people over the years people like it 
but I still, <laughs> it, it's one to me that needs to be redone. I got you. Um, because I'm, I'm sorry to say I, I did three films with him and he, he's no longer with us, but Carlo Rambaldi did the, the, the werewolf mm. and I, he hated my guts. Like I said, I did three films with him and he hated my guts because it was on that film that he heard me say it. And it was true. I'm sorry, but I called it the werebear. <laughs> I've heard a lot of hate for the bear. I mean, for the werewolf. Oh, oh, <laughs> yeah. Come on. It was it, it looked like a bear. It did not like a wolf. And yeah. I, I wear bear. So he hated me from that point on. But uh, to me, that was the biggest uh, problem was actually the werewolf. Yeah. And the other problem, which I don't think people are aware of, and that's another reason why I say this needs to be remade is because it was, you know, based upon cycle of the werewolf, yeah. a, a novella uh, by, you know, Stephen King, which was fantastic and had something in that, which has never been done and needs to be done, which was just that in the title cycle of the werewolf, the wolf changes with the cycle of the moon. Yeah. So if it's, you know, a quarter moon, he's only a quarter wolf. If it's half moon, he's half man, half wolf, full on moon. He's full wolf. Yeah. I love that aspect of it. Nobody's ever touched on that or tried that. Yeah. And I just think, I just think that needs to be revisited and done properly. Oh yeah. No, I'd agree hundred percent. That would be awesome. And like you said, it's not really done, you know, like you see stages of a transformation, you know, like during a film, yeah. but it's, it's never like, like you said, it's never for like a whole night or nothing. It's like right, right then and there. It's yeah. That'd be excellent. Well, Quarter moon, he's only quarter wolf, man. Yeah, I mean, it makes to me, it's it's brilliant. It needs to be done. Yeah, I think that one. The reason I attach to that one so much is just being a fan of the Corys growing up, and then you know, so many Twin <laughs> Peaks faces in it that it's hard not to love it if you love Twin Peaks and shit like that. Or yeah, any yeah. film, you know. But so uh, that's true. It had a lot of good actors in it. That's for sure. Yeah. Hell yeah. And, uh, you know, we don't have to really speak on this much, but, I, you know, I just want to say real quick, you know, rest in peace, Meatloaf. I know that you did the getting away with uh, murder video and stuff like that. How was it working with him, you know, being such a legend and all that? Oh, he was super sweet guy. That was, that was the, it was sad. We've been losing so many people lately. Mm. Um, it was sad when I heard that he passed away. Cause yeah, he was a super sweet guy. And that was actually funny because I mean that you think meatloaf and you think super sweet guy, that's odd to hear, but it's true. Yeah. And that was one of the funny things to me uh, looking back now on, you know, working with him was just that the first day prior to actually meeting him, all of us, on the crew we're like what do we call him yeah i mean really think of mr meat i mean what i mean <laughs> oh i mean what do you what do you call him and it was so funny and he was just so down to earth and person and he's like yeah it's meat i'm just just call me meat <laughs> That's awesome. Good guy. oh yeah, yeah. No, and it's like, like you said, when you meet somebody like that, even if they were like, oh, refer to me as my real name and stuff like that, you feel awkward because you're like, I don't know you as that. Like, I don't want to call yeah. you. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. hell yeah. No, and I've heard nothing but good stories. You know, once he passed, you know, people were saying, you know, like posting their little personal stories. And I think the coolest thing I saw was he was at a horror convention lately or recently. Yeah. And um, somebody, he, you know, his sign said music legend. And you could see where he scribbled out legend and put no and then signed it. And it was just like, oh, that's, you know, that was sweet. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh my God. I mean, yeah. I mean, especially, I mean, hell, I grew up with his music. I mean, 1977, I think we were just all issued bad out of hell, you know, <laughs> but, but a great album. I mean, that's one of those rare ones where there's not a bad track on that album yeah. and, and you're in the music and stuff too, you know? So, I mean, you know what I'm talking about. It's that's a rarity, man. Yeah. yeah he did. He His energy too, when performing was just, un, I mean, it was amazing. 
Yeah. Now he's one of those, like, uh, just like the vocalist of heart. Like when you hear that they're going to be on it or whatever, you're just like, Oh, it's going to be good. Like, it's good. Yep. That's cool. yep. <laughs> yeah. I mean, hell, you know, Eddie, Rocky horror. Come on, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Also, uh, Bob with the bitch tits is what a lot of people, you know, from fight club. I don't know if you remember that. But... Oh, oh, absolutely. Great, yeah. great, great performance and great film. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Hell yeah. And then of course, you know, we lost another legend, um, which is, not a, you know, I don't don't like to use it as a segue, but it is a perfect segue. Uh, you know, we lost the brilliant Dean Stockwell, uh, which oh. I know you did the amazing makeup on. I saw you actually posted that that was uh, your favorite makeup was the uh, what you did on him, you know, for like the whole Roy Orbison's and dream scene and all that stuff. Yeah, his his makeup I did uh, as Ben for mm. Blue Velvet is still to this day my favorite thing I've ever done. Oh, yeah. uh, simply because we only had Dean for the one one day of shooting. Mm-hmm. We shot all in, in one, well, actually one long night, but <laughs> we just, we shot all his stuff in one go. And there was no description at all in the script uh, for the character. And most of that scene was improv as far as the whole lip syncing of the the thing and the whole light. That was no, no that's in the script. That's all improv. Oh, and uh, so Dean Stockwell and Patty Norris, the production designer, and myself, we came up with the whole look and idea of how Ben was in the makeup trailer that night prior to going up and shooting this. And it was just, it was magical. It was fantastic. Another little Easter egg thing that, that people aren't aware of in that sequence, that same sequence in Ben's place that I did that people aren't aware of. And even David Lynch isn't wasn't he's already seen interviews now and have heard this but mm-hmm. he wasn't aware when we shot it if you go back and look at it you'll see exactly what i'm talking about all the people that are surrounding ben and his apartment in that scene mm-hmm. i made them look like far side people because gary larson's far side was just starting to come in its own at that time we shot the film in 1985 yeah. so i made all the people far side people you go back and look at it now there's no mistake in it <laughs> that's, oh, yeah. that's awesome <laughs> I love yeah. that. No, that's one of my, uh, that's hands down my favorite Lynch film, which I mean, I know it's the most linear and like pretty much like the most like accessible for sure. But, and that might be why it's my favorite, but I just love everything about it. You know, Dennis Hopper, the music, the, you know, Dean Stockwell, uh, Laura Dern, it's a, Kyle. It's, it's, it's a one-off man. It's a, it's a one-off. It's, it's my favorite film I've ever been involved with. Hell yeah. Uh, and, but I have to say, it's not my favorite Lynch film. My yeah. favorite Lynch film would have to go to Elephant Man. Hell yeah. Brilliant. That one's brilliant as well. Yeah. For me is a flawless film. And that's a rare statement mm. for me to make that a film is flawless. But to me, Elephant Man is one of those. It's flawless. It's a beautiful movie. Hell yeah. No, it's definitely uh amazing as well. But um yeah. is that the uh is that the actual ear behind you from Blue Blue Velvet? He's on a pillow back there somewhere. Oh, it's on yeah. a pillow. My bad. It looks 3D. I was like <laughs> I was looking at, I was looking at the other one with the um with the fence and the blue. Oh, there's, yeah, that was your yeah, that one. Yeah, I still have, uh, I still have Mr. Year. Oh yeah. yeah. In fact, there, we just did a screening last was it last Sunday, the sixteenth. Um, I did a we did a screening. Uh, there's a, a Joe D'Alessandro, who's a great camera operator here in town, uh, has been doing this series, the North Carolina Filmmaker Series, where we show specific films, and then we have a Q and A with somebody that's involved with the film, mm. and we we just screened Blue Velvet on the sixteenth. Oh yeah. And the Q&A afterwards and I took Mr. Ear because I said Mr. Ear wanted to it's been a while he wanted to hear the movie <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> and, I, and I would assume that you created Mr. Ear yep oh yeah 
That's awesome. Now, and I, I make up makeup effects for the for blue velvet. Yeah. Oh yeah. Now that's all. Uh, I think I can't remember who posted it. it. Was somebody? I think it was on Twitter or something. They posted a Polaroid that uh, you had taken. I think of uh, Kyle McLaughlin and Laura Dern from when y'all were filming Blue Velvet. It was uh, it was pretty awesome to see something like that. You know what I mean? Just like a a clip of time where you know people were being themselves inside of like something that you you know watch as a I don't know like as in. I did a um, like I said Blue Velvet's a special film for me and i did a book a few years ago um where we took all the uh, we found all my original continuity polaroids mm. and stuff from and on set photos from from the film in storage after 30 well it's been 36 years now since we made the film yeah 30 35 i think since it came out and um so we found all these old photographs i found all my original script and script notes and all the stuff. So we went back and we did a deep dive on it and we did a book using all my uh, original old photographs. And it's kind of like my love letter to the film. Oh yeah. You should have just named it Heineken. Fuck that shit. <laughs> that's, probably my, that's definitely hands down my favorite part of the whole movie. Pat's blue ribbon. <laughs> well, here, here's, you might know this one already. Here's something um, in the original script, the gas that, Hopper's supposed to be breathing, mm. and the script was supposed to be helium, so that his voice would be this really, you know, really strange voice, and that's the way it was scripted. When we started shooting the movie, David is like a—I I refer to David as like a demented Boy Scout. He—he's very straight laced. He, he did not experience drugs, or he didn't know about any of this stuff. Yeah. So. So Hopper tried to explain to him, look, David, I think that's silly. And I think it's going to be, you know, the voice think, no, nah, I don't want to do that. Plus helium doesn't make you high. Yeah. You know? um, so he says, he says, it needs to be, you know, nitrous, nitrous, you know, nitrous oxide. And so he explained to him what that would do. And so Lynch let him do that, play it like that instead of doing the helium thing. But then I saw um, years later, uh, Dennis Hopper and I worked together a lot over the years mm. and he later, said in interviews that he regretted that decision that he thinks now looking back on it or this was right before he passed away he said that he would he he, he thought that it was a mistake for him to change that now and that he wished he to let you know play it as helium and just to see how strange that could get yeah i thought, I thought that was interesting that he he made that you know distinction later it's like i should have tried that yeah <laughs> Now it would uh it would be funny to see you know like what the difference would be because like a lot of you know some of the scenes might be you know play a little bit more towards comedy than you know like the dark you know strange uh you know like uh, yeah I don't think it would have worked as well I really don't because I think it would have lent more to the comedy side which yeah. movie out has a lot of comedy in it people yeah don't realize a lot of people don't uh, that was all part of it it's a you know it's a it's a dark it's a black comedy you know really yeah, <laughs> yeah. noir black comedy. <laughs> Now, the only thing it might have done is like, you know, take a little bit of the meanness out of the character, which, you know, makes Frank, you know, so hard to, you know, so terrifying, honestly. Like, that's one of the things I love about the movie is that he's so unhinged. It's like, like you're scared for Kyle McLaughlin's character the entire time that they're like, you know, they're on the car ride and, you know, they're at, uh, you know, they're at Dean Stockwell, you know, the apartment and stuff when he's just like walking around singing. You're like, at what point is somebody going to just stab him? You know what I mean? Or some shit like that. But, yep. No, I think the tension builds great. Yep. I agree. Yeah. Hell yeah. And of course, at the end, when everybody's just getting got, like, that's one of the best parts, too, of course. But <laughs> if you ran in with the the helium voice, I don't know if it would be the same. Like, it might have taken you out of it. You might be like, you know, everybody's yeah. like when the guy with the yellow coat's 
uh yellow jacket gets you know killed and stuff like that if he came running in you know like being or, you know funny and shit it might be harder to be like uh, i think so too. I, I think i think it would have taken away a little bit yeah yeah oh yeah so uh you know and then after blue velvet you know we don't have to talk about this film much because you know even though you know it's very horror adjacent and stuff like that but uh i was just wondering you know you worked on manhunter which was you know the first uh iteration of you know hannibal the cannibal oh. Uh, how was it, you know, diving into that, you know, and um, were you a fan of any of the books, you know, before that? Because, you know, a lot of people, you know, don't know, but, uh, you know, a lot of younger people don't know, but uh, Hannibal, you know, was based on a book series and stuff like that. No, the, the books, actually, I love the books. Um, the first book, Red Dragon, Thomas Harris, who wrote the books, I, I liked his writing even before uh, uh, Red Dragon. He, he did um, that, uh, oh, what was that? Uh, Black Sunday, but somebody taking over the blimp and crashing into the World Series. Yeah. Um, terrorist thing. That was, and they did that as a film, too, which was really good. Uh, his books, I loved I loved his writing. Yeah. And so when Red Dragon came out, the book is fantastic. And um, the movie, I enjoyed work. I didn't do the whole film. What happened was back in the day when I used to work for the producer Dino De Laurentiis and did a lot of films for him, he kind of was grooming. I didn't know it at the time because I was so young. Mm. I, I started building. I started to film this when I was 19. And so I, I, when I did Blue Velvet, I was 23 when we started the film. I turned 24 while shooting Blue Velvet. So I was very okay. young. And so Dino was kind of grooming me to become a, a makeup artist. And I, I thank him so much. He's gone now, but I, I, I owe him my career. Oh, yeah. um, so what he would do was when I would finish a film, he would just automatically put call me up monday you're on this boom and i'd be on another film just like that yeah so that's that's what he did when i wrapped blue velvet he put me immediately over on to manhunter oh yeah and then i ended up doing the whole end sequence that whole shootout at, at uh dollar hot's house mm -hmm. there's a whole thing that i don't know if we can really get into all of that um because that was quite the ordeal but uh there was an incident one night on that shoot involving real ammo. Oh shit. That uh, caused the crew to walk away, mm. um, quit and leave. So in the end, to be quite honest, there were only like eight of us. And I was one of the eight that ended up staying and we guerrilla style finished this movie. This was a Friday evening. Yeah. It all went down. I got home from shooting sunday evening damn <laughs> we shot completely through yeah. to film the film and that whole end sequence and shootout at dollar hot's house is what we shot in those two days oh, of yeah. non-shooting and so uh, looking back on it now it was actually it was grueling then but looking back on it now it was actually a lot of fun because like i said eight of us basically and what you see is what you get yeah and the whole jerkiness if you actually go back and look at that the whole jerkiness of the editing intercut with Iron Butterflies into the God of Vita, which I thought worked wonderfully. Yeah. But the whole jerkiness of the editing, which played with the music, worked. But he had to do that basically because of the editing, because he was having to cut around stuff that I was doing. Because I literally, because we didn't have a crew. Mm. So we didn't have effects. We didn't have physical effects for as far as squibs and you know the stuff like this for the, the all the gunshots. Yeah. So I was literally doing everything with monofilament pullaways. I had everything on wires, just pulled them off of Dollar Hide, the cops and the people and stuff, as far as the, the bullet hits and stuff. Yeah. So 
that's why it's a little jerky in the editing to cut away from the stuff that I was doing. But actually, it works in the end. I thought it was pretty cool. Hell yeah. No, that's awesome. I never knew that. Now, and like you said, that's one of those things that, you know, knowing how much it takes, you know, just to shoot a, you know, like that some people say it takes a week to get, you know, one scene, you know, you know, one big final scene of a film, you know, a lot of times, and that's with the full crew. So, you know, I could only imagine, you know, when you're looking around and you're like, oh, this is all we got left, you know, and everybody just pulling up their bootstraps collectively. I could see where, like you said, it would be, you know, like at a time you're like, shit, this is a lot. But afterwards, you know, you probably learned a lot from it. And then like you said, just had a, you got to do a lot more than you probably would have if, you know, you had everybody was, that you had. Yeah, it was a blast. It really was. It was a blast. Fuck yeah. So, and that created, you know, a working relationship too. And then that led to other, that's why later Michael Mann called me to do Last of the Mohicans and ended up doing Last of the Mohicans. And yeah. so one thing leads to another. Hell yeah. No, that's uh. Yeah, and that's like one probably one of the biggest movies of what that came out what early nineties, I'm not mistaken. Last Mohicans. We shot it in ninety one. I think it came out ninety two, if I'm not mistaken. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. That's awesome. So yeah. uh, and of course, you know, we'll probably skip over that just because it's not horror, but that is one of the you know greatest films, you know, of all time for sure. And then of course, you know, Kevin Costner, if I'm not mistaken, I always get mixed up. He's the lead in that film as well, right? Mohicans was uh, Daniel Day-Lewis. Daniel Day-Lewis. Shit. No, that's right. Yeah, you're thinking of uh, Dances with Wolves. Yeah. I was born so, in 92, so give me a pass. <laughs> you get a pass. Yeah. Get a little, but uh, plus I just do my research on the horror stuff, so I kind of... <laughs> yeah. But uh, hell yeah. But uh, and then, you know, around that, you also did King Kong Lives and uh, Killer, Killer Crocodile and stuff like that. We don't have to dive into those films. But, you know, how was it just, you know, jumping into like, you know, monster films, you know, like big creature films? I mean, I know you did the the werebear, uh, you know, with uh, Silver Bullet, but or, you know, you're around it and stuff like that. But how was it, you know, now that you, you know, had been in the you know makeup business for a while and stuff like that? How was it diving into, you know, big not big creature features, but just, you know, creature features? Well, I mean, King Kong to me is still one of the worst films. <laughs> well, King, I mean, King Kong lives. Yeah, uh, that was that was such a bad film. In fact, I took my name off that film. Uh, <laughs> I've done that, that was and the Crocodile films as well. I took my name off those as well. Yeah, um, I've done that with a lot of films where I've taken my name off. But those were those are horrible films. In fact, in 1986, which is when that film came out, I had a really, in my opinion, great distinct honor that year because just about without fail on every top critics list across the board, I had the number one film and the worst film of the year uh, being blue velvet and King Kong lives in the same year. So yeah, it's a, it's a stinker crocodile films. Good God. Talk about another. We did two films with it. We did kill a crocodile one and two. Yeah. The croc that I made. That's another one that is, uh, I used to work a lot with uh, Ginetto De Rossi, uh, who's a great makeup artist. He passed away. All the old guys I used to work with, unfortunately, have passed away now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ginetto, people know him from Fucci's Zombie. Hell yeah. He did all the zombie you know, stuff. And he, he did Dune, the first Dune with David Lynch's Dune. Yeah. Um, so Ginetto's work was amazing. And we used to work together a lot. And he started directing. And he called me. And said, hey, I'm directing this film. I want you to come do the effects for it and make the crocodile. It's called Killer Crocodile. I want you to make the little mechanical crocodile. And I said, okay, how long has it got to be? He says, it's 39-foot-long mechanical crocodile. And then he starts talking about the effects. And so I'm like, good, okay. So I'm writing down notes. 
and I hang up the phone with him and I start looking over my notes. I said, this will be fun. And I said, let me look at that. Wait a second. 39 feet. What? Wait a second. Let me. I called Jeanette back. I said, Jeanette, just checking my notes here. And says, crocodile, I wrote down 39 feet. Is that correct? He goes, yeah. I'm like, okay, just checking. And I hang up the phone and I go, how the hell am I going to do that? <laughs> I was say, I imagine moving that thing or trying to. <laughs> I, it was it was it was crazy. I ended up making it like a giant puppet, which actually worked best uh, because, like I said, this was 1988 when we were making these, and mm. so you know you didn't have CG or you know anything like that, so everything had to be practical. So yeah, I made it like a giant puppet because it had to work in the water so much. Yeah, uh, that you know trying to dumb it down somewhat so that there's no mechanical parts to break down in the water, basically. And yeah. so by doing that, it actually worked fairly well and we made two movies with it but they're terrible hmm. and like I, said, I took my name off of it because i just yeah no nah. <laughs> hey i mean you didn't write your direct them so I mean, it's not your fault or bad <laughs> just do what you do what you're hired to do right <laughs> yeah the crocodile was fun to make we actually nicknamed it i called it the baby because it took constant care and upkeep yeah. so we i nicknamed it the baby so when <laughs> we finally did blow it up i was yay <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say after uh, everybody in the you know makeup and then just effects business, I'm sure always just goes back to every time they hear about having to build a big creature, they're probably like, after all the shit I hear about happening jaws with the fucking shark just going to shit every single day, it's like I don't want to do that. <laughs> like no anim no animatronics. I'm sure the puppet was probably like, I'm sure anybody that uh, had the option would probably go puppet wise because after that, like any stories you hear about animatronics, I don't think I've heard one where they're like, oh, it was flawless the whole movie. No, it, it's it is it it. it they go down quite a bit. Yeah. Um, the opposite kind of spectrum of that in a few, just a few years later, actually, well, actually the next year. Mm. Now think about it. I was 89 in 1989. I did this little movie that you might've heard of called Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh yeah. <laughs> heard of that one. So yeah, that one, the creature suits were done by Jim Henson, yeah. which Jim Henson is actually the only true genius. I think I've ever met and worked with. He, oh. he was wonderful. Yeah. And I didn't build the suits, but then I worked directly with Jim uh, painting the suits and uh, coming up with the scheme uh, because there was a little talk of, in fact, they changed it for the other films. And I don't think that they're quite as good because Jim passed away mm -hmm. a week after we finished shooting the first film. So he wasn't involved and I wasn't involved in any of the other films. And yeah. they changed the turtles looked and I don't think they were quite as good. And also because I had of another film that I had done prior, Steve Barron, the director of Turtles, thought it was hilarious that I had done Rambo three. Yeah. So, so he actually had me put a Rambo scar on Raphael. So oh, Raphael, yeah. go back and watch the film. He's Raphael's got a, a very clear scar on his cheek right there, which is actually a real Rambo scar that I applied to the, the masks. <laughs> oh yeah. Now, Rainbow Three is yeah. my shit, and uh, I like Raw Deal as well. I know you worked on Raw Deal. That's yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That's you know, I think every '90s kid and you know '80s kid just you know has that one in their you know bank of nostalgic films for sure. But uh, yeah, but that uh, technology was so new at the time mm -hmm. that um, they had the sensors on the puppeteers' faces, which was the first time that the computerized stuff had been used as far as the movements onto the mask and these sensors that were on the puppeteer's face, any movement that they actually made with their, they winced, mm. the next movement was mimicked onto the mask that they were puppeteering. 
that some of this technology had never been used before. And it was beautiful when it worked. But like I said, all this stuff was computerized and had to be programmed. And it was so early on that when this stuff would crash, oh my God, you know, you'd be down for hours to reprogram everything. So it was, yeah, yeah. (laughs) When you can go, when you can go puppets, it's a lot, it's sometimes it can save you a lot of time and headache. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. And then, uh, you know, in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, uh, you know, that wasn't the only, uh, you know, pre-existing property that you uh, dealt with, you know, as far as uh, makeup and stuff like that. You also had to, you know, you went on a few years later, one of the films that you returned to work with uh, Dennis Hopper on, uh, you know, Super oh. Mario Brothers, uh, which, yeah. which I know that's a polarizing film. I personally love it. But of course, it could have just, you know, it could just be the nostalgia strings pulling at it for me. But uh, is that one, uh, you know, just dealing with stuff like that, you know, that's so big in pop culture, you know, going into, you know, make the first film, like how intimidating, you know, can that be and stuff like that? And, you know, like, is there was there anything, you know, when you went into something like uh, I know team TMNT, you had the backup of, you know, uh, you're backing up Jim Henson, but um doing you know like that film and then super mario brothers you know was there anything that you were just super intimidated by going in that you know you were either pleasantly surprised with or just you know happy with uh at the end of it all mario brothers is one of those strange films i'm, I'm glad that people i mean because uh, you, you go into every project you do wanting it to be a good one you know yeah. and you try to try to do your best work you can do regardless of how you know the situation turns out mario brothers i'm glad people are because it does have still quite a kind of following a fan base for that film. Mm. I'm glad you like it. It's it uh, personally, I, I think it's a terrible movie. <laughs> it was one that didn't have to be that way yeah. because uh, if you know the, the whole backstory of how thing went down, <laughs> they got the cast they got and basically the crew they got, and the people they got kind of with a bait and switch. Yeah. Um, the script that they gave all of us was a completely different script. It was much more in the vein of Blade Runner. It was a darker film. In fact, it was Super Mario Brothers. This ain't no game was yeah. the tag. Uh, and it was a much darker adult oriented film. Then we started production. Everybody arrived and we were handed a new script. Mm. Yeah. That's hey, which, fun. <laughs> which was what, you know, especially Hopper and, Bob Hoskins and all of them were like, you know, what the hell is this? This is not what we signed on for. Yeah. You know? So yeah, I mean, I work, I worked, ended up working with Bob Hoskins and Dennis several times over the years after that. I love both of them. Yeah. And actually, Bob Hoskins going back again. People, people don't realize this or know this. Bob Hoskins was originally supposed to play Frank Booth in Blue Velvet. Oh shit! I had no idea. Yeah. In fact, in fact we started shooting the movie Blue Velvet. Remind me to get back to Mario. Yeah. What we were shooting, we were shooting the film and we did not have. And so we were a couple weeks into the shoot and I got word that they finally cast uh, Frank Booth. It was an unknown British actor by the name of Bob Hoskins that would come over and play Frank Booth. And Bob hadn't really done anything at that point. I don't think that really had caught on in the States yet. So you really yeah. wasn't known yet. And so that was the plan. And so, you know, that was it. And then we were at lunch and this was only a few days, maybe after I got word that they finally cast, you know, um, Bob, we were at lunch one day and a PA comes in and takes David away. Says, you got a phone call in the office. So David leaves. And when he came back, I think it was Kyle that actually noticed him first. We we're all sitting there at the table together at lunch. And when David walked in, he was, he was white. Yeah. And one that noticed it first said, David, are you okay? And David says, 
I just got off the phone. I got, I had a, Dennis Hopper just called me and said, I must play Frank Booth. I am Frank Booth. And he said, it scared me so much. I had to say yes. But he goes, now I don't know what to do. Can we hire this other actor? But worse than that, I don't think we can ever have lunch with this guy. <laughs> that was his concern. Was, I don't think we can have lunch with him. <laughs> What's funny is when you brought up the uh, schedule change, I, immediately I thought about, or, you know, the um, script change, I immediately thought about how intimidating Dennis Hopper was. And I was like, I'm surprised he didn't choke a motherfucker out right then and there. So it's, it's funny that the story went right to him being intimidating. <laughs> Yeah. So, and, and, and Hopper was just wonderful to work with, yeah. but then a few years later, and I've got both of them in my chair, you know, in the, in the, the makeup room doing, you know, Mario. And I told them then I said, you realize I got both Frank Boost now and they got a good chuckle out of that. Cause like I said, most people didn't realize that. Oh yeah. I'm, a, I'm assuming that, uh, you know, being, you know, that you said Bob was so awesome to work with. I'm sure he was understanding and was just like, Oh yeah. You know, especially considering that he knew, he probably knew that he was popular in you know the uk where he knew dennis hopper was already popular here and stuff like that so yeah dennis had a name you know yeah hell yeah so uh, um you said uh remind you to go back to super mario brothers yeah mario like i said i'm glad people like it but like i said it's not my favorite but uh, i don't know your audience can we can we cuss oh yeah i don't know if you noticed but i've been saying f word and stuff like that. okay good because i have a very funny mario brothers story if you like mario and this one actually is in a book, too, because a guy contacted me years ago. I used to live in Italy for uh, about 10 years. Oh. And this contacted me a while back and wrote this book, I think, called Xbox Generation. I think it was the name of the book. And there's a whole chapter devoted to the making of Mario Brothers. And he called me because he had heard this story and wanted to see if it was true. And I said, yeah, it's true. So he put it in the book. And I'm really happy because I love Bob. And yeah. I we lost Bob too. We've lost so many damn people. So this, this story made me laugh when it showed up in the book, the directors, we had a husband wife team directing super Mario brothers, which to me was part of the problem. Yeah. They couldn't decide what to have for lunch, much less, you know, how to direct a scene together. Yeah. So it was, it was, it turned into a mess and we had three, it was the biggest film going um, in the States at that point. We had three units shooting simultaneously the entire time. We had a first unit, second unit, full second unit, and a full visual effects unit shooting simultaneously the entire time. It was yeah. it was huge, crazy. But anyway, Annabelle and Rocky were difficult to be nice about it. Yeah. Yeah. So shoot and Bob, I have to say Bob was just wonderful. He he would say of himself that he was four foot squared, <laughs> but he was agile as all get out. He could he could do a backflip, just he'd be standing there and just, boom, just do a backflip like that. I mean, just amazing, very agile oh. and would go do anything. And so we were doing the sequence in the boom, boom bar where he's got to run and jump and catch the, the meteorite necklace yeah. that, big, that big Bertha's they're trying to steal from big Bertha. And so he was doing, we were doing take after take. It was very hot in the set. And we're doing take after take of Bob just diving through the air to catch that thing. And he's given it at all each time. And so Annabelle comes up to Bob after one of the takes and he goes, Bob, Bob, this take, try to linger in the air a little longer. And Bob just looked at me and I looked at him and I said, and, and Bob just said, honey, I'm doing the best I can. And I said, you know, Bob, Wally Coyote could do that. Didn't you work with him? And so we start talking about Wally Coyote like he's a real person. And Annabelle is just looking at us like 
we're insane. And so finally she just wanders off and Bob turns to me and goes, kid, that was great. Anytime she's around, let's do that. So she'll just fuck off. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. It's like, what do you want me to do? Fucking fly? Like shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Try to linger in the air a little longer. Like you realize I'm not really Mario, right? Like I can't get a squirrel tail to come out my ass. <laughs> That's why I was like, we started talking about Wally Cody, like as a real person, because uh, you worked with him, right? You know, Frame Roger Rabbit. So we started talking like he's a real person. Yeah. And she just didn't know what to think of us. And it's just like, you know, yeah. And he loved that. He was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he wouldn't talk about that film. Like I said, we worked together again. Mm. And he, he hated that film so much that he would never talk to people about Mario. Yeah, definitely don't blame them. But also, like, you know, it's always awesome when you can come up with a nice way to get somebody to go away. Like, oh, we don't even have to tell them to go away. We just talk until they do. Like, you know? yep. Exactly. Yep. Yep. Oh, yeah. Now, I've, uh, there's a couple of people at my work that I've become an expert at getting them to walk away. <laughs> but uh, hell yeah. So uh, and then uh, kind of jump forward quite a bit here, you know, in the years. But, uh, you know, obviously you, you never stopped working like you consistently were going. It was just, you know, uh, quite a big gap in the horror, or at least in, you know, like uh, like you said, the good horror. You did, you know, Killer Croc 2 and stuff like that. <laughs> but, uh, and, you know, you did some of my favorite films throughout that you know time period as well that just aren't horror. You know, like we said, I walked remember at the beginning, you know, I, uh, Empire Records is hands down one of my favorite films of all time. But, uh, you know. Uh, you did uh, the Night Flyer, you know, another Stephen King adaptation a little bit later on. Uh, how was it returning to a Stephen King ad- adaptation? And, uh, you know, out of the three that you did, you know, which one would you say, you know, you probably hold the highest as uh, not necessarily like, you know, what film you think is the best, but which one, you know, you have the most memories and, you you, you know, like you're personally the fondest of. Well, I think actually out of all the Steve, I've done a lot of Stephen King now over the years. Yeah, oh, yeah you did um, Mr. Mercedes and stuff like that recently. Or, yeah. For television. So I'd say actually my favorite Stephen King adaptation we've done uh, would be Mr. Mercedes. Okay. Um, for, for, for we did the first two seasons of Mr. There was three seasons and we did the first two and those are fantastic. And Jack Bender helped helm that directed most of those and was a showrunner. That's a buddy of ours who's just wonderful. Uh, and that there's some there's some really cool stuff in Mr. Mercedes. Yeah. We also did Under the Dome and then uh, Nightflyer. I think it's a fun movie. And Night, yeah. Nightfly was a special movie for me too because I did not do the effects, although we we did all the casting and the, we did all the, the headcasts and all the stuff for for K and B, the mm-hmm. K and B, the effects stuff for that. And I didn't fight it on that one because I knew I was going to have to walk away a little bit on this one because my son was born during yeah. film, so it's a special film for me because that's the film that my son was born during, and he oh, was yeah. actually. Three days old came to visit the set. So, you know, <laughs> that's awesome. Hell yeah. And I think it's a good film. I think it's a it's a creepy little good film. It's got yeah. some good elements. In fact, Mark Pavia, uh, we just were talking a couple weeks ago uh, again, the director yeah. of that. And uh, I like that movie. It's a, it's a good little and I love, you know, cast. I love Miguel Ferrer, another one we've lost too early. Uh, wonderful to work with. Great actor. Great guy. Um, he's one of them that played an asshole so well, always, and was one of the nicest human beings you'd ever want to meet. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it, that, that's a fun little movie. I think Night Flyer. Yeah. Oh, now to me, it's definitely one of the most underrated uh, Stephen King adaptations. You know, of all you know of all time. Most, I'd say you know, most people don't even know about it. To be honest, yeah. that's one that kind of like you said, it's kind of under the radar. It, well, it didn't get a proper. It, it didn't really get a theatrical release initially. It got. Uh, I think HBO picked it up 
mm-hmm. initially, and then I think it got a limited theatrical release after that, but not not big. And so it, it kind of it didn't find the audience. I don't think till it really hit home video. Hell yeah, yeah, I definitely enjoy the film myself. Like you said, uh, you know, a lot of people, you know, they immediately returned to you know, Carrie, which Carrie's you know, fucking brilliant, but the Brian De Palma yeah. version and stuff. Uh, you know, yeah. people returned to it, you know, Pet Cemetery, but uh, Night Flyer for me definitely is you know just as good as you know those films and stuff, and you know, especially just as fun, you know, just you know all around enjoyable horror film so yeah the fun i i think cat's eye is another fun one too if you haven't seen that or go back in, or hadn't seen walker back and revisit that too because like i said it's an anthology film which i yeah. love those in and i mean to me if you go back to you know the old british tales from the crypt you know mm. anthology film milton sabotsky was one of the producers of that actually milton was one of the producers for cat's eye as well oh, yeah. um so it's a it's a fun little I think anthology film and it was a fun one to make. We shot it in 1984. It came out in '85, but when we shot that film, we literally used every special effect known to man at that time in Cat's Eye. Yeah, and it really is a fun film to. to I mean, forced perspective miniatures, uh, the the troll, which was a cable controlled creature. Yeah, uh, up hill sets. Uh, that, that was a fun thing. That set that they built it was one entire soundstage that was Drew Barrymore's bedroom. Hell yeah. The entire, entire crew would fit on the bed. It was because everything had to be huge to make the troll, you know, look small. Yeah. So it, that was a fun movie. It was a fun movie to make. And I think it's a fun movie to watch. Hell yeah. And then, like uh, you said, I'm sure that like building the ledge was cool, you know, because you had to make it look yeah. like he was up high and all that shit. And now, I, yeah. Uh, yeah, I love that one, especially, uh, uh, you know, he's gone a little. Which, I mean, this is just opinion. He's gone a little off the deep end lately, but uh, I love James Woods and, you know, Quitters Incorporated. You know, that, that whole thing is just like tense because the whole time you're like, what the fuck is going to happen to his family? You know, and like you're just yeah. worried about like uh, how far is he going to push it and stuff. And luckily it never goes that far. It kind of like leaves a dark but like happy ending at the end of it. But or not happy, but, you know, just kind of leaves yeah. it like, a, oh, shit. But uh, that's one that I always feel like they could have made a whole movie off of that one. I really enjoy that story. Yeah, well, that all those, you know, those were all short stories in uh, quitters inc was a, a sh- short story and i forgot one of his his collections remember this collection of short stories he used to cl- uh release yeah, he did like uh, half past midnight was i think night shift was the book yeah uh, that, that originally yeah uh, they, so yeah some of the short stories are really I mean, if you go back and read a lot of those some of the short stories man if you would dust some of those off and give them proper treatment and do a full feature there's tons of stuff still we could do with King stuff. There's even some films that uh, have come out that were based on short stories of his that people don't even know are Stephen King films, like uh, Secret Window uh, was an excellent film with yeah. uh, Johnny Depp and John Turturro. And then uh, I think there was another one even uh, more recent that I'm not, mis- I can't remember what it is for life of me, but uh, it's, a, it's a Stephen King film. And like nobody, like, I'm trying to remember what it was, but it, nobody mentions it as a Stephen King film. And I just found out recently that it was based off of his, but I wish I could remember what it was, but. Well, to me, some of his best stuff, which I mean, I love the horror stuff, but to me, some really his best films are the ones that don't have the sci-fi element to me, like yeah. Stan Lee, Shawshank Redemption, Misery. Yeah, none of none of those have a sci-fi element at, or horror really element at all, and I think those are some of the best of the bunch. You yeah, know, really. Yeah, no, I, I agree hundred percent. Those three are amazing which you could say miseries of course had a little bit of horror but it uh it's just uh like all three of those like you said are they're grounded in reality and they're just amazing films 
another yeah. one that's not necessarily horror, but you know, it's just an amazing film. Uh, it does have a little sci-fi, but it's just not horror. It's, uh, the Green Mile, you know, like that one's just oh, yeah. like an awesome yeah. film. No, I agree. Well, that's the way I felt about Mr. Mercedes. Mr. Mercedes yeah. was the same way. It's a, a departure for him in a way too, because it's following the detective. You know, it's yeah. three series following this Hodges, this great, you know, this detective. And uh, I, I love them. And I thought that they did a fantastic job on the series that we did. The actors, all the actors just were great, knocked it out of the park. Hell yeah. Not definitely. But uh, yeah. of course, you know, we talked a little bit about uh, the black phone um, and, you know, the last film we'll discuss, of course, will be Scream 2022, which, uh, you know, before we jump into that, I'll give a small spoiler warning. So that way we can talk about it, you know, and uh, you know, <laughs> openly and stuff like that. But I do want to ask a little bit, um, I saw that you did some of the makeup for the Lost Boys pilot that, you know, eventually, if I'm not mistaken, it got scrapped because they wanted to redo some stuff like that. Um, what can you tell me about that? You know, like, did you think, you know, did you see where it was going? And, you know, what, uh, was that something you thought that they should have gone with? Or do you kind of see why they probably pulled it a little bit? No, that's actually one that we, to be quite honest, when I say we, I'll explain that. There's a, there's five of us. We have a, a, a makeup effects lab that we started called we're the bearded skulls yeah. <laughs> bearded skulls makeup effects group and it's uh rick poor jason willis tony rosen uh sean beck and myself and when i say we that's a lot of times what i'm referring to is our our group of guys that always works together oh yeah when we first got approached to do lost boys i have to say rick and i were not too excited about it at first thinking eh, do we Don't really need yeah, do we really need to do that? Yeah, I mean, I don't know, you know. So then we got the script and we talked to them about what they want to do, and actually, it was like, okay, this is actually sounds interesting. And we started it, and we were having a blast, mm. and we almost were getting ready. Well, we actually did start shooting. I think maybe one or two days only when we got shut down because of COVID yeah, March, whatever that was where everything kind of the 17th or whatever, where everything got like, okay, this is it. Everything's shut down. Yeah. Um, we got caught up in that with, uh, with that one. And we were so disappointed because we didn't originally think it was going to be anything good. And then we got into it and we were enjoying it so much. And everybody was so great. And we liked the direction it was going in. And then it got shut down to COVID. And then I don't think it's going to get picked back up. It's, it's, uh, I think it's dead in the water, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, especially with the movie announced or whatever, you know, that they said yeah. is in the works. So, yeah. yeah. So I, I think that's, it's done. So that's a shame because I, I like what they were going to do. Yeah. That's a bummer because I'm a huge fan of The Lost Boys. It's one of my favorite, you know, that was one that uh, even when I was scared of horror films as a kid, uh, you know, I still watch that one because, you know, it's there's the only part I had to cover my eyes was when they would, you know, eat the punk guys around the campfire. That shit always yeah. got me. But so And now. the other the other good thing, too, is with that one and with all of them that we've been doing lately, which has been good, you know, Scream and Black Phone and all of them, which we're happy about, especially doing what we do. Um, but all of them, the directors on all these projects insisted on practical effects. Hell yeah. Yeah. That's something that, uh, definitely is like, uh, it's, you wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's rare nowadays, but it's definitely just not as, you know, common as it used to be. And it, every time I see it, I'm, I think it's starting to really make a comeback. Cause I think people are starting to really catch on to Oh yeah, it's better. <laughs> yeah. I know. Definitely. There's so many, yeah. uh, yeah, there's so many films nowadays that when you see it and you're like, 
uh, you see that they use practical, you're just like, thank God, you know, like, yep. you know, even some of the bigger budget uh, horror films, you know, like Midsummer and, uh, you know, Hereditary and stuff like the, you know, those films, you know, they use strictly practical and it was also, you know, it was awesome to see stuff like that, you know, still happening. And, uh, yep. you, you know, of course, you know, they got films like my favorite film of last year was Last Night in Soho. You know, it's got some parts that were a little bit uh, CGI. Like there was a part at the end where there's like a bunch of fire and you could see that some of the fire was CGI. And it's like, you could just still tell. It's like, even in, you know, after all these years of CGI, it's like, even though it's just snuck in there with real fire, it's like, you can still see those little things. And it's like, I, I totally, I totally agree. I mean, safety is number one, always should be. Yeah. You oh, know, yeah. It's not worth anybody getting hurt or worse, you know, yeah. uh, killed on a film. But uh Safety should be first, but my God, you're you're right. I mean, the CG stuff to me, you can always spot it. Yeah, and it also, again, has this element of, and I'm sorry to say, this might make a lot of people angry, but I see it more in the Marvel films than anything. Yeah, where it takes you out of it because there's you see the actor and you see all this stuff flying around, but you can tell they're not there. You yeah. can tell they're not in any danger. And so that, to me, takes you out of the believability and of the story to me. I don't know. I just, I, I don't like it. Now, two perfect examples that I've actually brought up on this week's uh, episode that I released on the podcast um, is two movies that came out this past year uh, that I enjoyed both of them and loved them both. But like, you can definitely tell, you know, like, I guess the, uh, you know, the effects of using CGI and practical and like how much better it is because uh, and I don't want to spoil anything in the films. I'll just talk about these parts, you know, just sort of people that haven't seen them, but um, Ghostbusters Afterlife and then Spider-Man No Way Home. Uh, when you watch Ghostbusters Afterlife, you know, they brought back the demon dogs from the original, you know, Ghostbusters film and they brought them back practically and they touched them up with CGI and it looks, they look fucking amazing. Cause like, at, you know, at times you see the practicality, but then you go and watch No Way Home and the lizard is just CGI creature full on. And it's like, it looks good and it looks better than 20 years ago CGI, but it still just looks like a big giant cartoon. Like it doesn't look like, like, uh, yeah. If you put a guy in a suit, like Psycho Goreman was a low budget horror movie, but I fucking absolutely love the way the character of Psycho Goreman looks because they didn't try to shove like cheesy CGI on top of him. You know what I mean? No, I, I agree. I, 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 I'm, you're preaching to the choir on that because yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I'm not a CG fan. The thing, the thing here too, to be honest, that I really, um, that bothers me. I mean, I'm the, I'm the old dude now, said of course, yeah. But the thing that really bothers me now about our industry is digital. Yeah. To me, it's not better. In fact, it's hurt us. And the reason I say that is because film in itself used to be the most expensive thing on a film set was the film. Yeah. So when that film started, when they rolled the camera and you heard, you heard that film rolling through that camera, everything in front of that camera had to be right first time, every time. Yeah, because that's money. Okay, now it's zeros and ones. There's no real money running through that camera anymore. Yeah. So now they just roll and roll and roll, and they don't stop. They don't cut. And so, as stupid as this sounds, it's sloppy filmmaking yeah. because, but by not cutting, you can't reset props. You can't pat down the actors for sweat. You can't. It just it's sloppy filmmaking. But also, what it's done is it's made a divide as far as there used to be a discipline in our, with what we do. Yeah. The discipline is out the door now. There is no, and, and I think that's really bad. And the thing I hate 
worse than anything now is being on a set and hearing a director or producers go, yeah, we'll just fix that in post. Yeah. I hate that. No, fucking get it right the first time. Yeah. No, it's just, it's just sloppy filmmaking. Yeah. And, and it's sad to say, I mean, yeah. So kind of time moves, marches on, you know, but we are now working with a whole generation of directors and DPs that have never, ever even touched film. Yeah. And I find that sad. No, it almost makes you respect the few that, you know, are willing to give it a try and return to it, you know, even more like, uh, for instance, uh, another film that I really love from the past few years is The Lighthouse by Robert Eggers, you know, and yeah. the fact that he, you know, filmed that on film and, you know, like he had to, he lit it with candles and it's like somebody that young doing shit like that is just like, whether you like the film or that's your thing or not, it's hard to not just show it the utmost respect. Same thing with, you know, and then somebody has been doing it for years, you know, Quentin Tarantino still shooting his shit on the film. It's like, it's hard to not just, you know, even if you hate the guy and hate his films, it's hard not to respect that he's still, you know, taking that old school, you know, guerrilla style filmmaking almost at times. Of course, he's got a no, budget, so it's not guerrilla, but. No, absolutely. Absolutely. No, I, I respect him for doing it because it does make a difference. It yeah. does make a difference. Yeah. Hell yeah, no doubt. But uh, so, uh, of course, we can jump into the grand finale, at least for me, because as you can see behind me, Scream is my favorite. <laughs> yeah, I think you like Scream a little bit. Yeah. It's, uh, the, of course, 986 is my favorite of all time. But I got to say, I'm uh, I'm in the group that says 22 is definitely my favorite sequel in the franchise. I've already watched it twice at the theater, which, of course, is easy when you work there. But um, I'm going to watch it a few more times once, you know, we had our first crazy snow this past weekend so i had to spend it at home and stuff so it killed my plans to watch it a third time so i was waiting to watch it a third time sometime this week but now nah, i uh, i absolutely love the film and uh like i said before we jump into it spoiler alert for anybody you know that hasn't seen it go watch it first because i definitely want to ask you a few questions that you know of course we're not going to talk about the whole movie but they, they can be spoiler and stuff so but um <laughs> so uh when you got the call for this you know uh how was it you know especially a day and age where the internet is nuts and everybody just wants to hate on things and be a dick about shit. How was it, you know, to pretty much, you know, get a call about something like scream, you know, that is so beloved and, you know, so wildly known. And, you know, uh, what was your reaction to finding out, you know, that the radio silence guys were doing it? It was fun. Actually. It was a lot of fun. We um, we've known Kevin Williamson for a long, long time. Cause we, we go all the way back to uh, Dawson Creek with Kevin. Yeah. Uh, so we knew him from, from that. And we had done a film with him a few years prior to scream that has not come out yet, uh, which is a shame. And that's another good one. Um, when, and if that comes out called the Georgetown project. Okay. Hell yeah. I don't think I've even heard of that one. I'll have to look into that. That's going to be an interesting film. I, I'm not sure it's ever going to see the light of day though. Yeah. I hope it does. It's uh, oh, oh. It's, it's Russell Crowe. It has a connection to The Exorcist. Oh, that's, yeah. all I, that's all I can really say right now. Yeah. Uh, but um, the film has not been completed yet. So anyway, we'll see what happens with that one. So when he called us for about Scream, we were thrilled because we love Kevin and he's great to work with and then fans of the first film. And so Rick and I were really you know excited. It's like, oh, this can be fun. Mm. So I do my usual deep dive of i went back and watched all the other films again before we talked to anybody you know going forward with this, with this one and something that rick rick poor and i both agreed upon in the very beginning was we love the other films the first film to me still the best yeah uh, and holds up it's because you can't it was fresh it was new it was different 
and you can't you can't undo that you know yeah. so that was great um cast was great it was you know and, and wes i mean good god it was it was the perfect package you know it was great the sequels just like i think any movies i think the sequels sometimes tend to get unfortunately not as good as they go along you know yeah it's just for the beast so i i agree with you i, I think and i'm happy i i, I think the, the the one we just did i think is uh, uh i agree i think it holds up and i think probably right up there with one and two for sure oh. um but uh what we decided early on rick and i was going back and re-watching them was in fact our words were we need to raise the bar a little bit on the killings Thank you. Because, I mean, yes, it was great work, but, eh, you know, well, it's just so many times you can see somebody get stabbed where it's not, you know, yeah. different no. or unusual or something. You know? yeah, so, the, br- the brutality in the original film came from, like, seeing the dead bodies after the kills, like you see intestines. Like, there was never, like, brutal kills in the first, like, not yeah. in the first film at all. Yeah. No, exactly. Yeah. You don't really see much. Yeah. Honestly. So, yeah. I mean, like I said, K&B did that those are buddies of ours they do great work but it was like you know we wanted to raise the bar a little bit for the day's audience and i kind of felt like that's kind of i think the direction or i thought that it needed to go for a new audience in a do-over in a way you know yeah so so that's what we kind of set out so being that this was the first uh actually too that's something i don't think people realize either we were canaries in the coal mine we were the first production to go back up during COVID. So yeah, we were we were the canaries in the coal mine. We used to joke, you know, which is true. And actually, it worked great. It was uh, th- they took the COVID thing seriously. Mm. It, it added uh, it added millions to the budget. No, yeah. no joke about that part of the COVID thing. But they did it right, and they took care of us, and nobody got sick. And uh, I, I still to this day say that they need to look at several things that happened during the shooting of that film. Because it proves that stuff works. Yeah. My point is masks. Yeah. Mask work, folks. Wear them. Because when we're normally on a film set in pre-COVID days, okay, everybody gets sick. Everybody yeah. gets sick. You pass it around. It's the nature of the thing. You're, you're confined with these people on a sound stage for months on end, and you, you pass it around. You get sick. No one. Yeah. Even had a cold. No one got sick. Mask work. Yeah. The other thing that I think people need to uh, take into consideration for our industry is they limited us to only 10-hour camera days Yeah, during the whole COVID thing, okay? And that helped so much. And this is what people don't realize. It was probably, I think, a month or, two or so into the production and the, the set medic came on stage one day and was just laughing. And I said, what's wrong? He goes, I just got back from the office because I got called by the, the the studio, the head studio, saying, you know, bitching me out, basically saying, why have you not been sending in accident reports? And he goes, because we haven't had any. Yeah. Because people aren't getting overworked and making stupid mistakes and being tired and doing the stuff that makes accidents usually happen. Yeah, We didn't, nobody got sick. We didn't have accidents. Man, they need to look at that more yeah. seriously and keep that. And they're not, but man, it worked beautifully. Black phone was the same way. We did the black phone the same way. And again, it worked beautifully. And we made two really good movies. 
oh, that yeah. way. But Scream, going back to that, we wanted to up the kills. And so in our first meetings, because it was COVID, uh, we were having our first meetings with the directors through Zoom, like we're doing now, yeah. you know, to, to, to get everything going. And, and it was early on in our first Zoom meeting that I had with the uh, uh, directors, Rick, where I kind of pitched an idea that uh, I wanted to do a specific kill in a specific way that I had never seen done before mm. um, that based it upon an effect I had done on Rambo three, as far as the technique of what I was going to be using to pull it off. Um, and I explained it to them and luckily they said, yeah, and they let us do it. And it's our favorite kill in the film. And it does seem to be the one that gets the best reaction from an audience. That's for sure. Okay. Uh, can, can I, I guess it? Yeah, well, if you want to give it away, you can. Yeah. Uh, well, I'll just say, uh, is it the cheek? Uh, no. Oh, it's damn. Oh, neck. oh yeah, yeah. But it's a, it's probably the same person I was thinking of. I was just for some reason I was thinking it was his cheek. But yeah, it's yeah the uh, the sun. I'll say the sun. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Hell yeah, yeah. I don't know why I was thinking it was a cheek. Maybe because we were talking about the cheek scar earlier or whatever in Rainbow. Well, he, so that's he, I was... Later in the end of the film, somebody gets it through the. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, I was I was definitely thinking of the earlier one though with the sun. Yeah, no, that's when yeah, that's one of the most yeah. brutal kills for sure of the film. For yep, yep, that was my favorite. That was the one that I kind of pitched and and they went for it. I was happy they did. Oh yeah, so, yeah. No hell yeah, I definitely. Uh... And then we had another fun one at the end too, which was a little different for uh, a scream movie as well, where uh, uh, I don't give away too much, but. I gave a spoiler alert, so I mean, it's up to you. Uh, well, I mean, you know, our one of the, one of the demises of the killer. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, it's yeah. a similar demise uh, that that person has met in another movie, if you know what I mean. A- absolutely. In fact, we, we we had a good laugh about all that with her. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. Hell yeah! Yep. No, that was immediately <laughs> my first thought. Love but... that too, by the way. Yeah. No, as soon yeah. as I saw that, I was like, "Oh my god, she's twice in a couple of years." <laughs> I joked with her, said, you're getting typecast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They yeah. say, she'll be in a Marvel movie with a superpower. <laughs> yep. Uh, she was great to work with, too. All of them were. That's, that's the thing, too, that, that's great. And something that actually helps us, too, greatly, especially with dealing with, uh, you know, the prosthetics and especially with what she had to go through. They mm-hmm. were all super great to work with and, yeah. and, and just wonderful. And that was something that was actually kind of nice, too, um, which I think kind of led to I think a lot of the success of this was the fact that and I started thinking about this more recently because of the fact that we were under the COVID lockdown thing when we shot this film, mm. we all had to be kind of quarantined. So the cast all stayed in the same place together. Yeah. Which nowadays doesn't happen very often like that. Usually everybody's got their own place and they're off doing their own thing. Everybody was together on this, which brought them all closer together. And they became, they bonded, man. They became friends. And I think it helped the film. Yeah. Hell yeah. And to kind of go back on uh, to what you were saying earlier with, you know, the safety regulations and stuff, that was something I saw just earlier today, because like you said, everybody stayed together and became so close that right now, like 
uh, now that the film's out, like a lot of the cast have been doing like uh, what they call, you know, photo dumps where they're just posting all the photos yeah. from being on set and stuff. And I think one yep. that I saw that immediately stuck out to me was um, all it was like all the new cast on a bus and it was David Arquette standing at the front and they literally had they were all in their own seats. They all had a sheet of plastic and a mask on. And it was like and that was like high to COVID. And so, I mean, uh, that right there just shows, you know, if you look at that picture alone, that shows the safety protocols that were, you know, definitely being uh, put into place and utilized. And then. Uh, like you said, it kind of lends back to, you know, what made the first film so magical, because from what I understand, you know, they all hung out and did a lot of the same things. So it's like they got the, they all have the same chemistry that that uh, group of friends had as well. That makes this film, you know, so special. It was absolutely correct. And one of the great things, too, was when the, you know, the OGs showed up, you, you know, yeah. cast members, they were just as accommodating and great and came in and joined right in. It wasn't to like, Oh, we're the big stars and we're going to be set. No, yeah. it was just all one big happy family. Then everybody got along and it was just, it was wonderful. It really was. It was, it kind of, this old dude right here, seriously. I mean, I get, I'm, I'm like, I'm almost, I'm, well, I'm getting to the point where I'm getting ready to, I'm too old and hang it up, but I have to say scream and black phone for me renewed my faith in this business again. Hell yeah. uh, they really, they really did. They both were great to work on. And I think both turned out to be good films yeah. and it kind of renewed my faith that yes, you can do it good again. You know, you really can. Hell yeah. No, black they phone both, is definitely. They both, were, they both were a pleasure to work on and everybody was great. Hell yeah. No, black phone is definitely like one of my most anticipated for the year. I'm bummed it got pushed back, but uh, you know, I'm always willing to wait for, you know, something that's worth it for sure. But uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then, um, you know, of course, in the film, you know, there's a lot of callbacks, you know, they play red right hand, you know, in the film, yeah. you know, uh, one of my favorite callbacks is actually the uh, the score that goes along with Dewey that didn't even show up till Scream 2. But, you know, it shows up again in this film, you know, when Dewey shows up and uh, sees Gail and all that and stuff. Um, what was uh, was there any stuff like that that they, you know, when you went into the film that uh, makeup wise, either with the OGs or even just, you know, like when doing the kills and stuff like that, was there anything that they specifically like asked for or like put out there that uh, they wanted to be, you know, similar or the exact same from the original films. No, in fact, I tried. <laughs> One of my nicknames is method makeup because oh, yeah. method is a, 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 a acting term as far as, you know, really being method actor means you, you get into it so deeply. And so yeah. I'm, I always like to, more into it sometimes than is needed so my thoughts was and i i went back like i said and watched all the other films so i had mapped it out where all the scars be <laughs> on everybody but it ended up that we didn't see anybody without a shirt or you know anything like that the old you know geez yeah. so didn't really need to do any of that but i was ready to do all the old scars and really put everything back the way yeah. it should be uh, but we never really got into any of that but okay. they would have been up they would have been up for it if uh, you know need be that, that they certainly would have wanted to do that. Um, yeah. yeah. But no, uh, we didn't have, uh, no, like I said, everybody was really great to work with. We didn't have anybody that, you know, insisted on anything like that. No, uh, it was, it was good. I, I, like I said, I was probably one ready to go <laughs> more into it than they did. Yeah. You're, you're over there tapping them on the shoulder. You're like, shouldn't David Arquette be limping a little harder than this? Like <laughs> he, did. He, he did have a little bit of limp and he did play that once in a while. And yeah. That, that, I like that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah I just, I'm just glad he didn't do it as hard as he did in two where he's almost. <laughs> I don't yeah. Know. It could be too much. Yeah. No, I thought, I thought he did a good job with kind of playing it the way he did. Yeah. This. 
Yeah. yeah. I say there is one thing. There is one thing that bothers me mm-hmm. about, the new, about the new film. And that's the very end where you have Nev and Courtney both wounded really badly. One's been stabbed repeatedly. One's been shot. Yeah. And they're both sitting on the back of the thing. In fact, one, Nev's got her legs crossed and just sitting there like happy, like, oh, no, like there's no problem. Ah, boy, I, I don't like that. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. At least put them in the back of a ambulance tied up or, you know, like strapped up or something. You know? Have somebody tending to them doing something. They, but, ah, that just bugged me so much. Uh, yeah. I didn't like that. But other than that, I think it was great. Hell yeah. Now, I know exactly what you mean, though. Uh, towards the end, they were so beat up. There was a part where I was like, are, are we going to lose another legacy character? But, but exactly. Yeah. Hell yeah. So, uh, pretty much my final question, you know, um, for the film and, you know, overall is, uh, what about, you know, a lot of the thing about uh, Scream that's my favorite is, you know, not only is it, you know, your quintessential, not quintessential, but, you know, because that would be one of the first ones that came, but, or, well, I guess, I don't know exactly if that's what that word means, but it would be one of your iconic slasher films, uh, American slasher films, but it also has the, you know, whodunit aspect of, you know, the Italian Giallo films and stuff like that. that I, that's one thing I really like about the franchises, you know, the whole whodunit aspect that you don't get with you know, Friday the 13th, after the first one, you know, it's Jason, you know, except for part five or Troy. And then, uh, you know, like Halloween, it's like, it's always Michael, except for part three and, you know, same in Nightmare. But uh, so when it came along to this film, you know, they, you know, when talking to a lot of the cast in the interviews, they said that, you know, that they didn't know who the killers were until, you know, uh, halfway through the film and, you know, and, you know, until the scenes came up. Uh, about what point in the film, you know, you don't have to say who the killers are, of course, you know, so we don't spoil it too much, but um, about what point in the film did you guys learn who the killers were? Was it like pretty much when time came to do the makeup or did you guys know most of the filming? No, we knew the whole time. Because okay. we, we had we had to because we had to, to make all the stuff and prepare, make the prosthetics and, you know, we had to kill them. So we had oh, to yeah. make, so we knew the whole time. In fact, that's funny because we had to hide our scripts. We couldn't yeah. have scripts trailer so the actors you know we, um so you, and each it is true the actors did not know in fact they gave the actors different scripts yeah uh which i thought was fun this whole aspect of that was like you said that's what to me makes scream a, a step above i think a lot of the other you know, slasher films because it's something that actually although i love being the age i am too i mean i love the original halloween Friday the 13th, mm-hmm. those kind of things. I love those as films, especially the original of both of those. Yeah. But if you go back and look at horror films, those films really are responsible for changing the audiences. Yeah. The audiences started rooting for the killer. It didn't happen before. Yeah. You know? So that's kind of a new thing where Scream, I think, kind of put it back to normal because you're not rooting for the killer because like you said, of the whodunit aspect, yeah. which is really cool and really engaging for the audience. So the audience gets caught up in the actor, the characters, and you're pulling for them to survive and want to figure out who's the killer is. So it's a whole different dynamic, which I think is more fun and maybe even more. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> socially acceptable. Yeah. <laughs> But no, I know exactly what you mean. Uh, like, uh, I never even really thought about it that way. But yeah, it, that's probably one of the few franchises, even still today, that you root for, you know, the antagonists or the protagonists. Uh, yep. You know, like uh, even like stuff that came after it, like House of a Thousand Corpses with Rob Zombie and stuff. Like everybody loves the Firefly family. They don't give a fuck about the people they kill and stuff. So it's exactly. like, like uh, and 
Scream is probably still the only one, you know, of course people, you know, in Halloween, you know, now that Laurie Strode's come back and all that, like people, you know, root for Laurie and stuff, but uh, for about five or six films, they were like, fuck the teenagers, let Michael win. You know what I mean? So Exactly. That's what I'm saying. It changed the audiences yeah. as far as their support and how they're, who they're pulling for. Yeah. So yeah. I think, I think Scream kind of like corrected that, that problem. Yeah. Plus it's always nice to see the meta shit like, uh, you know, like characters named Wes Hicks, you know, Wes Craven, Dan Hicks. And- yep. There are Easter eggs all through. Yeah. Through the film. Um, I don't, I think you saw the article that they, Fangoria just did an article about us. Uh, and in that article, Rick takes us through all the Easter eggs that are hidden on uh, Vance, the, the, the first guy that's killed at the outside of the bar that night. Yeah. He's all, he's all tatted up. All right. Which I heard about oh, that, but I haven't seen the article. Do you mind it, going through a few of them? It's all fake tattoos, of course, that we you know we have to put on to you know, create the characters. And it was something that we planned out um, with the directors. And all his tats are references to other Wes Craven films. I mean, you got a direct oh. reference to Freddy Krueger. You got a direct reference to Shocker. Okay. You got a direct. You got a direct reference to a lot of, of, of his films right on his arms throughout yeah. the entire. You don't see them very much, I don't think, in the film where it's shot. But they're they're all there. And it's one of those crazy things. We know they're there. Yeah. <laughs> and it's fun. And then also, there's an Easter egg, too, in the makeup of, I don't want to say too much, but the the really hot makeup that we did at the end. Yeah. <laughs> there is a direct copy of Freddy Krueger's ear. Oh, shit. Hell yeah. I have to uh, look for that again when I watch it a third time. <laughs> it, 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 it's it's a, exact all done on purpose as, you know, homages to Wes. And, and uh, it, there's tons of stuff like that throughout this film, which yeah. is, is, and it was all done, you know, because everybody did. I mean, it, in fact, there was a, there was a sign for set dressing. Okay. Cause it was all part of, because of uh, Dylan Minnette's character played Wes. Okay? Yeah. So the kids were throwing this party. So there's this sign draped across the set as you come in, you know, uh, for for Wes, yeah, you know? and the first time that Nev and Courtney walked onto the set, we'd been shooting, you know, for a while before they arrived. First time they walk on the set and see that, they burst into tears. Yeah, you know, so yeah. his presence was felt with us the whole time. No, that's awesome. That's awesome, especially because, uh, like, you know, you know, I don't want to spoil it. You know, spoil what the the reason the set, you know, the set for the set dressing and stuff like that. But yeah, yeah, the. Uh, that you know the whole like scene with the you know like the banner and everything as soon as i saw that i was like i feel the meta-ness here and it's it's in my heart for sure <laughs> like i loved it but yeah you, know. you felt that you felt that on set yeah you really did oh yep. yeah that's so awesome and then uh but that's why one reason i you know i want to get back and see it you know hearing about all the easter eggs you guys put into it the stuff they put into like the youtube part you know like just along the side of the like recommended shit they you know there's apparently that there's proof that kirby's alive and you know there's a hint that Stu might be alive. And then, you know, yeah. you got or uh, you know, and then of course, you know, all the posters in the um the Meeks household and stuff like that. There's so much to look at and so much to see. So now I'm definitely gonna get back and uh, catch it a third time for sure. But. yeah, no, it was great. It was great too how they brought a lot of people back, like like Heather. Yeah. Um the, the mom there, you know, the Meeks, all that stuff is so much fun. Yeah. yeah. That was the thing. I mean, that's why I think it attracted us and so many people and why it's doing so well. You yeah. gotta go back to the original. The script, man. The the script was good and clever. 
you know, hell yeah. No, I loved it. And uh, I got to say the Meeks twins were probably my favorite part of the movies. They were just super enjoyable as characters, especially the, uh, I have to introduce them to Hobbs and Shaw. <laughs> That's my favorite part of the whole movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They were like, great. They were great. I actually took care of uh, both of them in the yeah. film. And Jasmine was wonderful. And, and uh, I worked with his dad for Christ's yeah. sake. Yeah. It's just now it's fun too. Now, now I'm working with second generation of a lot of people that I've worked with, so it's a it's a lot of fun. Yeah, they were they were great. Oh yeah, no, I love radio. That's why I saw that you worked on that. That's such a touching and you know heartfelt film. It's hard not to love that one. And then you know other, I loved his. Uh, I always get it mixed up, but I think he did the movie Medal of Honor. Yeah, Cooper, I so. yeah, I love that film. I always yeah. get it mixed up with uh, Men of Honor, of course. You know, just the names, but I think but, you're right. I think it is, yeah. yeah, yeah. But no, I love that film. Good but, actor. Good actor. Oh yeah. But, uh, well, now, man, I appreciate you for coming on the show and, uh, you know, for chatting with me and everything. Is there anything you want to promote or let people know about before you go? Or I'm pretty sure we kind of touched about everything you got coming up, but. No, it's been fun, man. I, I appreciate it. And it's been fun and good. Easy to talk to. So you made it easy. Oh, um, yeah. no, just like said, I'm glad people are enjoying scream. I think it's a fun movie. Um, go see it more. And so we can make a scream six and, oh, yeah. um, and then in June, go see black phone. Cause man, to me, that's, that's a, Black phone's a rare one to me. That's going to be a really good one, I think. Yeah, no, I'm super excited for that. Uh, it kind of feels like it's perfect for Scott Derrickson because it almost feels like the reverse of Sinister 2. I don't know if you've seen Sinister 2, but um, it kind of felt like a reverse Sinister 2, but like in a way that makes sense, you know, like perfect sense and stuff like that. So, Yeah, no, it really is. And and, and we really enjoy working with Scott. Oh, yeah. Uh, he, yeah, he, he's, he turned out to be one of my favorites in a long time. Um, so yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be a good one. Oh yeah. I definitely can't wait to see it, man. And I appreciate you for coming on the show. Enjoyed it, man. Oh yeah. Thank you. Have a good night. All right. Talk to you later. And as usual, I just want to say thanks again for listening and make sure you check back next week as my guest is going to be the one and only Marshall Lichtenwall of the hardcore band, the Warriors. Also, don't forget to go follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for all updates. If you're a Spotify or Apple user, those ratings are highly appreciated. Thank you guys again for listening and stay safe.